The UN says that humanity stands on the brink of catastrophic man-made climate change. But is it true? Not a chance. But we do stand on the brink of catastrophic government policies that threaten to ruin the nation our forefathers built and defended against tyranny. So what drives the climate scare, Jay? Besides simple ignorance, the scare is driven by corporate greed and the desire of governments to control all aspects of our lives, Tom. Is this part of something more sinister? Indeed it is. Whether it's climate change or a pandemic or socialism, it really means sacrificing your rights and accepting the tyranny of the fourth branch of government, the bureaucracy. It must be stopped. This is The Other Side of the Story with Dr. Jay Lair and Tom Harris of the International Climate Science Coalition. When I think of Germany, I remember sailing down the Rhine River, amazed by the beautiful castles lining the hilltop. I also remember how friendly the people were to me and my buddy when we were traveling around Germany on our U-Rail passes when we were 20. And of course, who can forget Oktoberfest and beer? And what about the superb, no-nonsense German engineering? But Jay, despite all these good things, there's also something very bad happening in that wonderful country. What's going on, Jay, there? Well, Tom, I'm very excited about the fact that we have a German scientist with us today as our guest. And in this last series of radio broadcasts that we do every week, we've uh, talked to a wonderful fellow in Chile and a woman in Brazil and, of course, you in Canada. So this is kind of an international set. And it's really fascinating to find uh, what is going on in different countries. And uh, I've traveled extensively in Germany, and uh, I'm rather surprised at uh, where I read that uh, Germany is at in terms of uh, renewable energy, energy and their brilliant engineering and the Siemens uh, company. So I'm very, very excited to have our guest uh, Wolfgang Muller uh, on today to find out what's really going on there. Is it, uh, is it better? Is it worse? Uh, where do they fit in in the world? And, and I noticed their international attitude toward uh, Ukraine has changed. So I'm very excited about hearing firsthand about those things. So go right. ahead and introduce Wolfgang. Yeah, sure. Wolfgang Muller is the General Secretary of the European Institute for Climate and Energy, which people may have heard of by the German acronym IKE. It's the German Germany's leading think tank for climate and energy policies. Here in North America, we would have seen Wolfgang quite a few times, actually, at international climate change conferences held by the Heartland Institute. Previously, Wolfgang worked for the Frederick Naumann Institute, a German organization for liberal and libertarian politics. Wolfgang was also country representative in Zimbabwe and project director of the economic project in Southern Africa. So Wolfgang, really, we're happy to have you because we can learn a lot from what's happened in Germany as to what we perhaps shouldn't do in, in North America. So welcome to the show, Wolfgang. Oh, thanks. Thanks for having me. Definitely. And uh, yes, there's a lot, a lot to be told about the myth of Germany. Yes. Well, Germany has been on a path, in my mind, uh, Wolfgang, to economic destruction. 
when it comes to energy. Uh, Mrs. Merkel has now been uh, replaced with what I would hope might be a more sensible prime minister. Uh, will the new prime minister uh, set a better course than Mrs. Merkel did? This is actually a really very good one. I mean, uh, that, first thing, Angela Merkel was for 16 years in power. I mean, we don't have yet term limits in Germany for our prime ministers. And uh, 16 years in power, what does it mean? So these people in the end also live in their own bubble. And uh, for 16 years, she created basically a power dependency. Uh, definitely you can say this, or let's say uh, politely, she allowed power dependency on Russia. And uh, now with a new prime minister, Mr. Scholz from the Social Democratic Party, actually he's uh, more, more silent. And the person really calls the shot in a positive sense. It's as our Minister for Economic Affairs. It's Mr. Habeck, who is from the Green Party. When did renewable energy become a plan that, you know, basically uh, took over all the future plans for energy? You started to shut down your nuclear power plants and your coal power plants. And all of a sudden, uh, wind, I think, became the, the biggest source of energy, uh, solar to a lesser degree. How far back in time did that begin? Ah, oh, that's actually really a, a, a very interesting one, because it starts actually with the fact, where with, the, with the dying forests in the 19, let's say, late, very late 70s and 80s, when we, we had this scare that the forests are dying, especially in Western Germany. I'm not talking about East Germany, where they really were dying because of sheer pollution. So, and the, the, wind, the wind and solar story actually started slightly already under the Helmut Kohl government. I mean, really, 20, more than 20 years ago. But at that time, it was actually more like, okay, let's, give other energy sources a chance. It was not the idea, oh, let's replace the traditional ones with wind and solar and water. And, um, but it really, it became, uh, let's say, the energy, energy transition thing, what we are actually aiming at. This is a thing that came actually roughly 20 years ago, it started. And on steroids, the moment Angela Merkel was in power, now, I understand that some people, some Germans are becoming uh, displeased with uh, what are called wind parks. Uh, is there opposition now to what actually has been going on, as you say, for uh, nearly two decades? I mean, that's a very interesting point. The environmental movement is split. There are these people who just see the climate Armageddon and they just say we need to phase out the traditional power sources, we have to go for wind and solar, especially wind, and they want to have them not in their backyard, as usual. So at fairly early, we got uh, associations, civic groups who were fighting it. Actually, they were mushrooming. And I actually re recall in 2008 or so, I was on nine, I was already in, uh, in northern Germany at an event where they were actually fighting very hard with a lot of money also, uh, legal money. I mean, like fighting legal battles against the so-called industrialization of the North Sea, you know, where the wealthy hamburgers want to have a, a North Sea without um, actually obstruction of wind farms. And we talk about now 
in the last few years, these uh, wind turbines, they are more than 200 meters high. I mean, we talk about more than 600 uh, feet, and which is quite uh, quite something. Yeah, and, uh, I mean, it is. It, uh, and don't forget, I mean, Germany is a relatively densely populated uh, country. So the obsession with uh, replacing traditional power sources with wind and solar would mean that basically you, there will be no place where you won't see a wind farm if they continue. Mm-hmm. And, and anyway, I mean, uh, you just mentioned at the beginning how you enjoyed, you know, the, the, the Rhine Valley and so on. It's just thanks to this really, uh, the fight of these diehard, you know, opponents of wind farms that we don't, it's not littered with uh, wind farms, you know, on, on the hills yet, yet. It's sort of interesting. Now, your previous chancellor came from East Germany. Do you think that's part of the explanation as to why she's really pushed so hard for wind and solar power? Because, of course, it increases government control over your energy infrastructure. It's a good, actually, it's a very good point. But uh, we we actually see it a little bit actually simpler. And it's just like she is uh, just going with the flow. A bit like Clinton. You see what is uh, the opinion poll in the morning. That's what you say. And um, but just picture this, you know, when Fukushima happened, you remember the famous tsunami, yeah, which damaged uh, this power plant in uh, in Japan. This triggered a panic at our chancellor. That not actually in the country; it was in she herself said, "Okay, now let's switch off the oldest nuclear power plants." Meaning, seven power plants had to go off the grid immediately. Mm. I mean, you know, Germany, we don't have tsunamis; we never had, and we. Probably in the next million years, we won't have them. Well, Wolfgang, I, I've yes. got to jump in here because uh, I, I really lived it. I had finished a, uh, uh, a book uh, on nuclear power in March of uh, 2011. And when the tsunami hit, I was the first expert that our CNN uh, contacted to find out uh, what was going to happen in Fukushima, and I knew it very well. And I explained that the nature of the winds there were uh, such that while the nuclear power plants would be destroyed, it was unlikely that anyone would get radiation sickness and there would be no mortality uh, because the wind currents would uh, take the radiation away. I ended up doing uh, 23 network television uh, shows saying this, and I got death threats because the anti-nuke people were just thrilled that something bad had happened when, in fact, the only bad thing was that the power plants were destroyed and wouldn't reopen. And uh, really, the only illness was that they moved uh, old and ill people 10 miles from their homes. And uh, the stress they calculated killed uh, about 1,600 people that would not have died Uh, otherwise, but the scare went on for years. And I remember like it was yesterday when Mrs. Merkel uh, closed the six or seven nuclear power plants, Japan not understanding it, they closed even more than that. It it was uh, crazy. It's dying down now and their nuclear power plants being built all over the world. But that was uh, one of the most unscientific uh, situations that happened. And I remember Germany was... uh, probably the first country after Japan to uh, react in a panic. 
Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and I guess at the end of this year, you're closing your last nuclear station. Exactly. I mean, this is a thing which is hard to imagine. So we, we had in the year 2000, we had about 19 nuclear power plants, you know, then it was, it was a time when it was like, you said, oh yeah, we should phase them out for safety reasons. I mean, it's always a safety nonsense to say it this way. And yes, you're right. By, by the end of this year, 31st of December, the last three will go off the grid. Mm. Have you ever had accidents at any of your reactors? I mean, serious accidents. Okay, exactly. It is a serious accident because, I mean, every accident has to report. And we talk about if somebody, let's say, misses a step, you know, walking in the office and the trips, it's actually considered an accident in the thing. It has to be reported. Anyway, but no, we never, ever had serious accidents. Mm. Wow, and yet you're turning off. What fraction of your electricity was originally generated by nuclear? That was about a third we got uh, from nuclear power. Wow. And uh, which is was quite a lot, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And obviously reliable. I mean, <laughs> super reliable. But what are they what are they replacing it with? Oh, there yeah. of course the idea of the greens is that we replace it with, with wind and solar. But I mean, if just talking about wind alone, the wind on uh, let's say you get only 25% of the installed capacity from a windmill. In other words, the normal state of appearance of a windmill is to stand still, not moving. <laughs> yeah. not <turning. laughs> that, that is a, uh, a great line. Yeah, it's yeah, exactly. terrible. Now, I understand your, your energy prices uh, have about tripled uh, in the last decade. Is that accurate? Yes, that's definitely, and that's unfortunately accurate, really. At the very beginning, you know, it was the, yeah, the what pushed the price up was actually to, to uh, build the grid because we have to have a double infrastructure. So while, of course, we need the traditional power sources, you know, I mean, fossil, basically. And uh, so all these, uh, the wind farms and solar and so on, they're planned all, I mean, they're spread all over the country. So the the existing traditional grid is not fit to actually number one or not even to deal with this uh, amount of power and all with this erratic power yeah so this is so the the to build an extra grid or let's say to increase the size and the the size of the grid actually was already so expensive and the same also the re- regulatory um, measures we need meaning like how to change the timetables of the power plants, you know? And let's say 20 years ago, the timetable of a power plant, you know, like uh, how much power at what time of the day you have to deliver, it was clear, you know, you could really rely on it. There were, let's say over the year, maybe 10, maybe 15 times one had to change the timetable of a power plant. Today, we talk about a few thousand interventions over, over the year because of the erratic um, yeah, erratic uh, power. Yes, we, uh, we tend to call them, instead of renewables, we call them unreliables Yes, because that's uh, what they are. Now, I'm guessing of our audience overall is about 30,000 people were probably average age somewhere in the, in the 40s. And most of them probably remember Germany uh, known for its great engineering expertise. And so supporting wind and solar, which most people recognize the unreliability, 
one wonders if uh, Germany has lost that expertise. What, where does the country stand in that way? Huh. That's actually a good, a good one. I would say, let me, okay, let me not answer your question, but say something actually like this. Business, the businesses do whatever pays, you know? And you mentioned Siemens at the very beginning. If Siemens gets subsidies to go for hydrogen, they do it. And they, 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 they couldn't care less about the nuclear power plants they built many years ago. And so they have the, they have the engineering there, yes. And uh, John Utley, you might remember John Utley, sure. son of Frieda Utley. I laughed when he, he liked to make this joke and said, in the United States, usually at a conference, that, yeah, the German engineers are so brilliant. They manage the solar cells, produce even power during the night. <laughs> yeah, you're laughing, Jay. You're laughing, but I mean, of course, they're looking. Wow, they really did this. I mean, the 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 image of German engineering was really like, wow, they're making the impossible possible. Yeah, but unfortunately, as we all know, no, you don't get power from solar panels when it's dark. Mm -hmm. Not even the Germans manage to do this. And um, and let me actually uh, say this: there is, you know, when. <laughs> One could actually uh, cut everything short and say, if the Germans don't manage the energy transition, it's not possible. Oh, yeah, that's a really good point. <laughs> yes, yeah. For our city here in Ottawa, we want to move off of all fossil fuels. And it's a city of a million people. They want to spend $60 billion between now and 2050. And in their plans are putting up 710 industrial wind turbines, 60 stories high, that approximately that high. Now you're saying that one of the big costs that the city perhaps are not paying attention to is the increase in transmission line costs. Yes, yes, this is, okay, this is, yes, that's, that was in the past, you know, the beginning uh, driving the costs up. But what you just asked also before, because when you mentioned doubled and tripled the energy prices, the energy price in the last few years doubled. And, um, and this is, has definitely to do that we actually rely more and more on these unreliables. And uh, I just actually spoke a few weeks ago with somebody who's investing in, in solar farms. And he said, wow, we got a, a retail, no, sorry, a wholesale price deal for in euro cents, 23 cents per kilowatt hour, which is, is in US about yeah, 28, 28 US cents as a wholesale price. I mean, picture this. I mean, I think in Texas, your the, the retail price is less than 20 cents, if I recall well, US cents. So what I want to say, the, the is a scarcity of electricity a lot. And uh, they, so, and they have this married order uh, concept that basically the last power plant that uh, comes onto the grid actually determines the price. This is why sometimes, you know, the, the, the prices go through the roof when there is a kind of like shortage. So the most expensive oil powered stone age old plant has to come on the grid. And then they have, maybe that's just a few hours later or a day later, then we have negative prices because we have too much solar and too much wind and not enough consumption. And then we have negative prices, and we have to dump the, 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 the electricity. So while we mm. still pay for the generation, 
to the wind farms and the solar farms. At the same time, we have to pay to get rid of the, the electricity. Mm. Do you have engineers and experts in the field actually speaking out in Germany saying, hey, this is crazy? I mean, yes, retired, ex uh, because the moment uh, you say this, when you still have a normal job and you're employed, um, you, you're just finished. Your career is, is, is over. You know, you're not supposed to say things like this. It's heresy. <laughs> now, you've explained, I was going to ask about Siemens. They essentially go where the money goes and uh, the subsidies uh, cause them to decide, hey, wind and solar is fine. In this country, the average subsidy for wind and solar is about 50% when you include uh, state and uh, federal allowances. Uh, most people are not aware of that, but every time I see a solar farm or a windmill, I turn to my wife and I say, you and I are paying for half of that. What uh, are the numbers in Germany? The government was very smart to do it a bit differently because officially you can't even say, oh, there are not subsidies. Okay, good, cool. But we have administered prices. And uh, particularly in the past, um, the, the prices were set by, by the regulator. And so if you were at a solar farm or wind farm, you had a guaranteed uh, very high return of investment. This actually is now phasing out. Now the wind farms and the solar farms, now they have to find their own, um, they have their own customers. It's not, it's not so easy anymore. However, in this, in this environment of basically not chronic, but now and then scarce electricity, they make a profit. Because if without this, let's say scarcity, we would have just thought nobody is interested anymore to build solar farms and wind farms. But oddly enough, the mentioned sky high prices i mean i just give you an idea a kilowatt hour here if you just get a new connection costs roughly 40 euro cents wow this, wow and um that's definitely triple hours in most uh, everywhere and even yeah it, it, even more than that higher than in uh than in uh, California. Sure, some, some utilities who have own generation capacity and very good contracts, old contracts with other you know, power producers, when you're lucky, you get something like, let's say, 35 euro cents. But I mean, the trend is, is, is higher. And just keep in mind, the generation costs of a coal-fired, state-of-the-art plant, you know, where you basically have only CO2 and water vapor coming out of the ch chimney, is still produce profitable for five euro cents oh wow you know what i mean so anyways the rest is just like if you were a non-profit and it would say okay we want to do good for the people let's build a coal-fired power plant it would be state-of-the-art exhaust gas treatment and so on which would cost an average a billion euro about okay 1.2 uh, billion us and um and then you would you would make a profit by selling it still for five or six euro cents per kilowatt hour, you know? mm -hmm. and uh, the rest, of course, is like taxes and extra levies, yada yada. And this just shows actually the idiocy, you know, what triggered what this uh, so-called energy transition triggered. But the funny thing is, in the current situation, I don't know whether now is spoiling a possible question in the future, but. With the, in the current situation where we actually see that we are completely dependent on Russian gas, completely dependent on Russian gas, and we can't just 
oh, let's just switch it off because roughly half of our gas comes from Russia and gas is one of the main inputs, not to say the main inputs in the chemical industry. So we actually have to switch off most of our chemical industry the moment we would if we just turn, turn off the tap. Well, how, how are the people reacting to the, this huge rise in uh, electric uh, prices? Uh, are you feeling a, a large resistance or that they just go along with it? Jay, this is a surprising thing, to be honest, really, because it hurts. And I mean, I must say, when we started IK 15 years ago and people said, yeah, energy poverty, I was always a bit skeptic that, okay, energy poverty exists, but it's not a significant issue. Now, energy poverty is an issue. And, but in a way, this, it's like the, the famous frog in the water where it was, was slowly, you know, it increased the water, the temperature. For some reason, I'm surprised that people are not really going on the street. Yeah, I don't know, I'm a bit at loss. Yeah, I know in North America, some of the scientists who were pointing out the foibles of the climate scare and the energy transition, they've got death threats. And I know Naomi Seib from, um, from Germany, she also has had pretty serious threats. Have you had threats? Do you see that sort of thing perhaps limiting the amount of speaking out that people are doing? Jim, this is exactly what I mean, one thing. People don't speak out because exactly the this is more than peer pressure. Yes. As I said before, an engineer who would speak out and say, hey, the energy transition is, is nonsense, would definitely, I'm not kidding, would lose his job. I'll give you just one example. Professor Fahrenholt. I mean, some of you actually even have met him and heard him. Professor Fahrenholt, he was from the uh, Hamburg, which is also a city state, the province of Hamburg. He was a senator for the environment. He's a member of the SPD, the Social Democratic Party. So at that time, which is a couple of years ago, he was the senator for the environment. Then he joined the energy company and he became there the guy in charge for renewables. Okay, so he, he really has an insight. And he is the one who for years now actually say, hey, the energy transition as you want to uh, execute it, design it, it's just, it's, it won't work. It's, it's, it's doomed to fail. Mm -hmm. And, and also, he's also okay criticizing the, the, this doomsday, uh, let's call it news from other people always say, well, well, the, the climate Armageddon is coming. It was a, a bit more than an honorific position of the, let's say, Wild Animal Foundation, which is actually really a, a very good um, in, uh, NGO. They make sure that we, like the links and so on was, uh, again, uh, populated in certain areas. Anyway, very, very interesting um, and positive to be rated NGO. He was fired from this position as a director of this NGO, who has nothing to do with climate or whatever normal environment stuff or energy stuff, for basically being outspoken on the, basically the idiocy of our energy transition. Mm -hmm. So we talk about a guy who is, who is retired already and still anyway got punished for it. So long story, the moment you speak out, you finish. I'm not kidding. You know, mm -hmm. especially if you, okay, if you're a person who has a position and even young people, young people who want to join IKEA and so on, they also have to be aware that on the, on the labor market later, it's not easy. Mm -hmm.
Mm -hmm. So they, the censorship is extreme, to say the least. Oh, yes, it is definitely extreme. And I mean, look, uh, don't forget, I mean, our, you know, IKE does once a year an international conference similar to the Heartland Conference. The last one uh, we had was, uh, we got, of course, the usual Greenpeace protests outside. They tried very, very hard so that the, the owner of the conference hall, uh, they tried to motivate them to kick us out. I mean, as, uh, two years before, in 2019, in, in Munich, Actually, yes, we had to find a new location. They had mm -hmm. kicked us out. The hotel 2019 was so put under pressure that the hotel decided to, to okay, forget about the money they could have made with us because they were afraid of bad press. And then later we found a location for much, much more money. But the white, the white flag is not our logo. So we had our conference with an excellent turnout, and but also the Antifa was then outside, you know, and Antifa was threatening to sabotage the event. And so we had a scientific, scientific conference. So a scientific conference, we speak about polar bears, the ice shields, the rising oceans or not rising oceans, and so on, climate archives, all, all the various things. And we need police protection to talk about these, these subjects. I mean, this is like sickening. You know? uh, it is absolutely amazing. It's pretty much the same here in the United States. It's certainly that uh, true at virtually every university that if you're on the faculty and you, uh, you know, it's funny, they're all about free speech and that's the place there is no free speech anymore at uh, American universities. If they come out, just as uh, you said, Wolfgang, and made a talk or in a talk they gave, they questioned uh, the climate change Armageddon, as you call it, they're... Uh, their future at that university would be in jeopardy. So we'll be right back with Wolfgang Müller from Germany, General Secretary of the European Institute for Climate and Energy. If you're like me, you'd like life to return to some kind of normal. You're burned out on the precautions, but deep down you still want to avoid getting sick. You've heard it talked about time and again by respected medical professionals. Use a povidone iodine antiviral nasal spray. Made in the USA, Cofix RX reduces viral loads and minimizes the risk of you getting sick. Find a retailer near you or click our banner ad on americaoutloud.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. In 2008, the amount of concentrated time people could spend on a task without becoming distracted was 12 seconds. Five years later, it was only eight seconds, one second less than a goldfish. If you find yourself always distracted or having trouble recalling information, you're likely to fall behind in the demanding, fast-paced 21st century. In other words, brain performance is more critical now than ever. Boost your brain power with Healthy Cells Focus Plus Recall. Science-backed nootropics to sharpen focus, concentrate longer, enhance recall, improve mental speed, learn rapidly, and be more alert. It's a pill-free brain supplement made with maximum absorption technology, designed to feed our brains at the cellular level. Take it for a test drive. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order of Focus Plus Recall. That's HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD for 20% off. silent voices be heard. It was the rallying call that started it all. It's a wide spectrum of programming, 
From world and political news to societal and cultural stories, six amazing years of news blogs, informative podcasts, and great talk radio. Welcome to the new era in communications, America Out Loud Talk Radio. Our guest today is Wolfgang Muller, General Secretary of the European Institute for Climate and Energy. So, Jay, you had a question for Wolfgang. I want to talk a little more about the politics. You mentioned, Wolfgang, that uh, your chief economic minister now, if I heard you correctly, is from the Green Party. Yeah, that, that sounds kind of scary. How powerful is the Green Party in Germany? which creates this continued movement away from fossil fuels and the belief in climate change, rising sea levels, melting ice, all things we know not to be true. How powerful are they? Actually, they're very, very powerful. And I mean, they're even more powerful than actually you can see on the election results, because other politicians, other political parties, not all, but most, try to anticipate it. Meaning, okay, oh, if it, people, okay, have to keep in mind, in Germany, the green, let's say, the, the green theme is very fashionable, like in many other countries, and therefore, it used to look better when you are, appear to be green. So what I want to say, while the Greens, of course, have to go even, even a step further because the other political parties just almost steal their bullet points, that's why we actually have this energy transition on steroids. But now the, the interesting thing is now, because of the Ukraine crisis, the war in Ukraine, we definitely are in a, in a, in a real crisis. I mean, not a climate crisis, of course. And our Minister for Economic Affairs, Mr. Habeck, who is from the Green Party, appears to be, I mean, he acts very, very pragmatic. And I mean, in a positive sense, it's very, very surprising. And the energy transition might be seriously under threat for the time being, actually, in order to avoid our really uh, energy fiasco by not having enough energy in Germany. Well, the war in Ukraine is... A lot of people, and I'm one of them, think that the whole climate change issue and the movement to uh, wind and solar is going to have to face a uh, reality that it, it doesn't work. It makes no sense. And that could be a good thing to come out of the war. Actually, uh, I think the best thing that's going to come out of the war is it ultimately is going to end Mr. Putin. Uh, in charge of, uh, of Russia. But Germany's attitude in becoming involved with uh, NATO's movement toward the Ukraine and really working to help the Ukraine, to me, appears to make them more active in international affairs than they have certainly been under Mrs. Merkel. Can you see a, a change in that direction? politically as a result of Germans' recognition of Russian invasion of the Ukraine? Oh, oh definitely. I mean, it, it can be all... Yes, the answer is yes, I definitely can see this. And it's uh, cumbersome to speculate, you know, whether under Angela Merkel we would have this war or not, which is really, if it, it doesn't lead to anywhere. But 
I mean, one thing I have to, to fill you in, just also to see the perspective how the German military capability of the change over the years. When I was in the army, you know, in the beginning of the 1980s, you know, in Germany, we had conscription at the time. We talk about the army of West Germany, Federal Republic of Germany. The German army had 1,300 tanks. I mean, proper tanks, leopard tanks and similar mm -hmm. ones. And uh, today we have 230. Okay, wow. just, yeah. Okay, you have to keep this in mind. And so when people say, yeah, Germany should provide the, <laughs> the Ukraine with arms, which actually the majority of the people in, in Germany actually agree and support, is <laughs> actually not much really of significant stuff we can actually provide. And, mm -hmm. uh, but back to the interesting thing, I mean, that we have a situation where due to the fact that we see what's going on, the atrocities and everything, I mean, of course, in the, uh, the, the danger, and of course, uh, many of us here in Germany share Zelensky's uh, point where it says the freedom of Europe is also defended in, in the Ukraine which is usually a mouthful to say something like this, but here many people actually agreed uh, to this point. So the Green, within the Green Party, there is, don't ask me now for the percentage, but there is a significant part, and I think the overwhelming majority thinks, yes, we have to, have to help them. Because our Minister of Foreign Affairs is also from the Green Party, is, is Mrs. Mrs. Um, Baerbock, and I mean, it sounds, at the beginning, you know, people like to mock, you know, said, wow, yeah, these people, this, they want, the Green Party wants to have a feminist foreign policy. Sure, oh, yeah. but, yes, exactly. It sounds, <laughs> sounds funny. But in, this, in these times now, finally, this is not a topic anymore. They really, they really got their act together and realized, okay, this is, this is now whether we make it or not. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. because even within the Green Party, people say if the Ukraine falls, who is next? Which is a completely different attitude to to a political party which originate from the peace movement originally. Mm -hmm. So, so anyway, don't want to praise too much of the Green the Green Party, but we have to be honest. You know, to say they are very pragmatic, which is in this moment a very positive sense to a very positive thing to acknowledge. So the mm -hmm. energy transition, and of course, I don't want to give too much praise because at the same time they say, of course, we have to fight our energy dependence by having more wind and solar and yeah. more renewables. Yeah, I we're mean, going okay, yeah. I give them this one, but I mean, at the same time, they know we, we depend heavily on, on the gas from, from, from Russia. Well, virtually none of the war in Ukraine is being fought with wind or solar power. And I think most people <laughs> are aware of that. You mean yeah, the and they, aren't using electric, they aren't using electric tanks. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. My grandfather fought in the first war in history in which there were tanks. And uh, this is just so totally in a side note. He, they love tanks because they could hide behind them. <laughs> yes. Talking about tanks and talking about electric and uh, talking about cars. Um, we talked about energy prices just before. Um, Tesla just increased again, again, the prices for taking electricity from the supercharger network here in Germany. So we talk about now roughly 50 euro cents per unit, per uh, kilowatt hour. If kilowatt you know. hour. Yeah. So, <laughs> and yeah. Uh, 
I mean, they're actually adopting every few months now. They increase their prices, mm-hmm. and uh, I mean, I don't want to say it's a facetious game, but I mean, <laughs> of course, once you have the electric car. What do you want to do? You want to sell it just because the price of your electric power went up? Well, it's still relatively cheap compared to if you go for with gas. I mean, like well, petrol. Let's talk about the electric car in Germany, Wolfgang. Tom and I have written a great deal about them, and uh, we've made predictions that uh, no one can challenge uh, on any grounds whatsoever that electric cars will never make up. 10% of the automobiles on the American road. And there are a dozen reasons that uh, support that. Uh, really, the, the electric car in this country is a second car for affluent people. It is not uh, here. Of course, we travel greater miles, but because you have a denser population, the problem of range anxiety is uh, a little bit less than it would be here in the United States where uh, things are more separated. But uh, how would you define who is buying electric cars in Germany and what percentage of your automobiles right now are electric? Okay, the, the percentage of the total number is, of course, misleading, I would say. It's more interesting to see what uh, from the cars newly the new cars bought so if we in 2021 it was 13 percent of the cars bought were electric but wait a minute I, I, one thing where i'm not actually now i don't have enough i can't recall well whether it's it also includes hybrid but hybrid is actually not so let's say popular anymore anyway and uh, but the reason here is again i mean like in the example of siemens why do people do it because it gets subsidies as well, you know, significant yeah. subsidies. And now even the, it gets even better. You get the subsidy even when you just keep the car for six months. So now it's even now a racket going on that the dealers say, okay, just get the car after six months. I buy it back. So you basically drive for free for half a year, the car, and then it's sold to Denmark or other countries abroad. Huh. I'm not wow. kidding. The significant amount of cars. So we talk about billions of subsidies who are just going down the drain. Yeah. On a slightly different topic, how seriously does Germany take the Paris Agreement? Do they consider this something that must be followed? Is it built into your law? <laughs> <laughs> really, yeah, this is really hilarious. I mean, you know, I mean, we're facing you know, it's nuclear and now we're just facing out nuclear and even coal, okay, be honest, yeah, we also face out coal, but we want to replace it with gas, because I mean, we have to replace it with gas, because as we know, the, un- the how you call it, unreliables, Jay, you call them? The intermittent, unreliables, uh, yes. Yeah, unreliable. The wind and solar is too erratic. You can't really rely on it, unfortunately. So we need about 30 to 50 more gas-powered uh, power plants. Mm-hmm. Which again will mean uh, for these power plants alone, we need the amount of gas that comes from Russia. Yeah. So, so, it, so, yeah. so let's assume if we if we think further and let's say okay, the energy transition, where we, okay now we got rid of coal, we got rid of nuclear, but we still have to fill the gaps with gas. We need uh, we need basically the entire gas of Qatar. 
just to get an idea, you know, about the magnitude of gas, what we need here. So Paris Agreement, to be honest, not in the, in, in the far future we will, will get there. It's, I mean, it's, not, it's definitely not realistic, unless we get, mm-hmm. really have a, a, a miracle power, power source, which I feel mm-hmm. like We just have a few minutes left, and I'm hoping we can talk about an agreement that Germany signed last year uh, with the United States on climate change. And what do you think will come of it, if anything? To be honest, I don't think much will come up uh, of any agreement, especially not in this environment. I would hope that actually uh, we would realize that fracking in Germany would make sense. And I think would, uh, that uh, the politicians in the United States would get their senses back and say, okay, let, let uh, drill and frack like in the basically old days, recent old days. I'm not a fan of necessarily energy independence because, I mean, if you live in a peaceful world, it can be dependent on the other. It's we live in a globalized world. No, I mean, all this, sorry, this is big talk, you know? I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't I see, see anything the, uh, significant coming out of it. I see the agreement that Biden signed with Merkel, as uh, Tom said about a, a year ago, is nothing more than public relations. I think it made for a good article in newspapers. And, and I'm reasonably sure the vast majority of our population and yours as well isn't even aware of the agreement. And I expect there'll be virtually nothing yeah. of, of a real value yeah. done. Jay, Jay, you know what the whole dilemma is of this whole climate stuff and energy stuff? It's like a, a self, self-referencing madness especially under uh, the, the Merkel government. So government was putting billions in so-called climate education, not just call it brainwashing. So everybody yeah. believes, I mean, almost everybody believes in the climate, climate Armageddon, that we have to fight climate change. That's why we have these funny groups like the last generations who do all this weird things or extinction rebellion. So, and now everybody realizes, okay, we don't mean it's like believes this uh, propaganda now the people vote to, to the parties who promise they save us from the climate Armageddon. So, yeah. I mean, it's, 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 to be honest, it's sheer idiocy. It's utter idiocy. So basically... Yeah. Well, uh, you know, you and I are, are probably old enough to remember in the middle 70s, uh, the big scare was a coming ice age. All the yes. magazines in the United oh, yes. States showed uh, an ice age coming. And so... You and I are, uh, and and Tom as well, are probably more frustrated about this idiocy than most because uh, we're aware that humankind has little or no impact on the temperature of the planet, number one. And number two, if we were to warm a degree or so, by and large, would be good. We all tend to go south for our vacations. We like warm weather. And the the increase in CO2 is greening the earth. So uh, if things are not a little bit wrong, they're entirely upside uh, down. The impact it has with me, I am physically, it's physically impossible for me to go anywhere and talk to anybody without bringing up the issue and uh, lecturing a little bit one-on-one as long as they can stand to listen to me. Uh, I'm a real bad actor at any party I go to. It's not possible <laughs> for me in a conversation with a handful of people to tell them the insanity. 
Yeah, yeah. And I guess it's important for people to speak out in social settings when they hear nonsense being espoused by their friends. I mean, surely, Wolfgang, that's part of the solution is that people, average people, should feel strong enough to speak out and also to call into radio talk shows to make it politically correct to say this is all nonsense. Definitely. I mean, there are so many myths around there, which actually some of the people know that's nonsense. Just to give you an idea. The, the, you know, we talk all, when we talk about energy transition, the people say, oh, it's a, it's, we, we already so many percent that, wait a minute, the primary energy contribution from wind and solar, you know what I mean, of total energy uh, consumption, wind and solar contribute five point something percent. Mm-hmm. Do you hear me? I mean, so we do all this stuff, making electricity unaffordable by basically in total, but because we, because we, need, we need more than just electricity. And it's not, even, it's not even 10%, it's five point something, you know? Mm-hmm. And anyway, people just think, oh, okay, now so many percent is... is thing. Yes, people have to speak out. People have to get the courage. And I mean, and this is a polarization we see in so many uh, countries in the world, you know, all the United States, I mean, like the Republicans and Democrats, uh, you know, they are not, uh, in a way, don't want to talk to each other anymore. I mean, I remember when I was a kid, it was quite different. One had political discussions with birthday parties or family reunions. Why not? I mean, let's just listen to the other side. And there's one thing where Ayn Rand, I mean, made a very famous phrase, check your premise. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Well, I'm an, I'm an optimist and, uh, I, I know things will swing back the other way. The question is, you know, how much damage is being done by the absurd belief in human-caused climate change being a, a negative. There was something I read uh, just today that supported my optimism. I do a lot of work in agriculture, Wolfgang, and I've been fighting the battle for 20 years to explain to people that genetically modified uh, grains do not uh, create a problem in uh, people's health. And they've allowed us to dramatically increase our food supply. And I read an article today saying that the opposition to uh, GMOs around the world was declining. And I compare that to the anti-nuclear. I know that they're in the order of a couple hundred nuclear power plants being uh, planned or under construction around the world. So I, I think the, the climate change and the cry to uh, do away with fossil fuels and have nothing but wind and solar will die out. The, the only question in my mind, is that a decade or two decades away? And what will be left of our standard of living when the pendulum finally swings back? So it's a naughty problem. Mm-hmm. So what would you be your overall message to a city like Ottawa who wants to power its, its whole city with wind and solar power and renewable natural gas that they generate with actually wind and solar power? I mean, what would you say to them? They want to put up 710 industrial wind turbines. They want to have 36 square kilometers of solar panels. What would be your message to a northern city like Ottawa? Number one, I mean, be honest, be honest to your citizens. I mean, and get also the dissenting voices from the engineers, you know. I mean, right. get a, have a, a red team and a blue team, you know, just to, to calculate it. 
And I mean, it might even work. I mean, the prices for solar panels are so, are so low that they actually can, in, in the right mix, they can provide energy maybe at a competitive price, depending how expensive other, other generation costs are. So, but of course, the idea, you know, to force it like we do it in Germany. Yeah, that's the one sense I want to say to them, don't copy us. Yeah, exactly. And do you think it's going to take massive blackouts across the across the Western world before people will wake up to this? And the, th the thing is, yes, I always thought this way. But in, in reality, having lived in, in various, uh, let's say, transition countries, developing countries, we won't have these massive blackouts because we will have this, they call it load shedding, power cuts and uh, and, and one thing, actually, nobody, even Germany, is aware of for years, heavy electricity users like aluminum smelters are switched off sometimes without any warning in order to stabilize the grid, or better, in, in plain English, to avoid that the grid collapses. So we mm -hmm. would have had already major failures if we would not just switch off some industries without any warning. I'm not, we, 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 not any warning, it's just realize, oops, there is no power anymore. Anyway, oops, so, yeah. no, seriously, this is something, um, be honest and about what you plan. I mean, have, an, uh, have two different teams and then let the people really uh, decide. I mean, if they really want to pay more for whatever reason for power, okay. Mm -hmm. But Well, yeah, yeah, in say, Ottawa, they're saying, they're saying in Ottawa that property taxes will increase almost 40% just to pay for their climate plan. So, yeah, I don't know if people are going to be very happy about that. I want your opinion, Wolfgang, in Germany, your crystal ball, how long do you think things will go in the direction they are buying natural gas from Russia, not allowing the, uh, the drilling of oil wells or the hydraulic fracturing that has just allowed the United States for a while to be energy independent until Mr. Biden came along and canceled <laughs> all the good things that uh, yeah. Mr. Uh, Trump did. How long do you think it'll take for an awakening in Germany? Okay. Yeah. The moment, if, if for some reason the Russians would really switch it off, which of course would be economically a little bit idiotic from their side, I really think it will might even then take just months. I would like to say days or weeks, but I mean, it's just a few months to realize maybe we should consider drilling, fracturing, and of course, keep other power plants now longer running. I think this will, I mean, I, I'm almost so arrogant to say this would be certain if Putin would switch it off, the gas supply. <laughs> In the current situation where we are kind of like at limbo, I don't see the fracking coming. I mean, Germany passed, I mean, anyway, I don't have to tell you how, how politicians and ministers, whatever governments lie to the citizens, you know, they portrayed fracking I'm almost like George Fox did it, you know, like as evil. So I don't see it coming, but at least I see nuclear for the time being a bit longer and a little bit more. Yeah, nothing actually really great, but, and I think... The, the, in, the, in the ministries, the people who are the better, the, the really clever, the informed, no, I mean, the informed, educated bureaucrats, I mean it in a positive sense, they might be able to educate our politicians about the real possibilities, the real problems. So, yeah, in this, in this time, you know, when you see that the people from the Green 
who are now in power are asking for tanks to be delivered to Ukraine. This is quite uh, shows that if everything is possible, I mean, not just the black swan. I agree with that. The stuff I've been reading about uh, Germany's change in political position uh, since the war began in Ukraine has really made me feel uh, very good that uh, things are going to get uh, better because Germany's really a tremendous uh, turnabout in their uh, support of NATO and the, the people's attitude toward uh, Putin being a terrible person, what he's done in Ukraine. This is all, is all good news. One last point, is there any movement uh, within Germany to bring nuclear back or not shut down your last plan? Is there a, a pro-nuclear movement uh, existing at all within Germany? Not a movement that would really uh, worth its name. I mean, we with Ike, you know, we tried for years always to bring some reason in the debate, but the debate as such doesn't really take place. But I mean, we we actually push a lot, you know, the, the new generation power plants like nuclear plants, uh, the dual fluid reactor. It's something actually we gave a few times a platform, you know, to present this, which seems promisable. But I don't see this. And the political parties, okay, there is one, uh, the AFD was anyway always a bit skeptical about this uh, energy transition stuff. And they are more, more in favor of nuclear. But within the party, they're a bit split. But of all the political position uh, parties in, in parliament, they are the only ones who would, co would come close to a group that would support it. But something like a Civic organizations like the anti-nuclear, like a pro-nuclear, no, it's not really on the card. They don't exist, except of a few groups, you know, who consist of not even a dozen of people. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, this has been very informative and certainly educational for North Americans as to what we should not copy. Lots of good things in Germany we should copy, but not copy your energy platforms. So this has been our interview with Wolfgang Muller, General Secretary of the European Institute for Climate and Energy. This is Dr. Jay Lair and Tom Harris signing out from the other side of the story.